Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for your blessings on us as a group. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you, too, for your word that is before us. We pray your blessing and anointing on John as he preached from your word. May you give him power and strength and direction of your Holy Spirit to do so. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning to everyone. Welcome. It's good to see those from near and far here this morning. Um, we as a family would like to thank you for your gift a few weeks ago. As Jaden said this morning here, it is a blessing to be part of a brotherhood. And while it is certainly a blessing to give, it's also a blessing to receive as well. So we want to thank you for that. As you might have guessed by today's title, I'd like to talk about strong foundations. Uh, what is a foundation and why is it necessary? I always like to get the dictionary's definition of a word even though we kind of know what it is. And here again, it's pretty straightforward. It says an underlying base or support upon which something is built or an idea, principle, or fact that supports something else. So there again, um, we know that, but a foundation is what something else is resting upon. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Verses 24 through 27, short little passage here. Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus talking here to the people. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So this is probably one of the first passages we would think of if we think of a strong versus a weak foundation. A uh, very simple story here. Maybe it was true, maybe it was not. Uh, Jesus gave what we call parables, uh, stories with lessons here. Um, two men, even possibly neighbors, it's not uncommon to find solid rock where the wind or water has cleared away the sand, and that maybe should have been the first clue for the second guy here. Um, anyway, they each built a house, and the first chose to build on a rock. Whether it was literally on solid rock or not, we don't know. I've been in a few older homes where the, uh, in the basement, the corner of the bedrock stuck up into the basement. The builders did not attempt to alter the rock, but simply instead conform their foundation around it. And that's the story of the first guy here. Um, he might have given up a nice level basement in favor of a solid starting point. In contrast, the second man chose an easier surface to start with. We know sand is much easier to work with than rock. Easier to dig, easier to grade, get it just the way I want it, nice and level. Um, his basement probably didn't have any weird corners with the rock sticking up. It was nice and square. Everything was perfect. But in both cases, as it happens, the rains, the winds, and the floods came. Um, it's the way it speaks it here, they are inevitable. 
they are part of life. It doesn't say that by chance or whatever. It just simply states that those things will happen. Each one of us will face storms in life at some time or another. And we see two very different outcomes here. The one house stood strong. The other was washed away. And it says, great was its fall. And I had to think what's contained in that phrase here. Obviously, the house was destroyed, but there was also potentially collateral damage as well. Not only did the man lose his house, he lost his possessions possibly as well, maybe even loss of life. Uh, Storms and rains often come at night. When the house is dark, everyone's asleep. We don't know the details here. A collapse is usually unexpected, but it always causes great damage. So what do we see from this little story here? A couple lessons. Number one, why do I need a foundation? Like we said earlier, a foundation provides secure footing to build something on. The size and depth of the foundation depend on what we plan to build and the conditions that we expect the building to face. I had a doghouse that sat for many years on a pallet, and it seemed very adequate for a doghouse. It didn't blow away and the dogs seemed content, as dogs are. Even though it was slightly out of level, it worked for many years until the pallet rotted away and we did something else. But that was adequate for a doghouse. Then I have a shed. I went to a bit more bother with this shed here. The place where we put it was kind of soft and muddy, so we put down some driveway fabric and a couple inches of stone. And again, it's still sitting there. Maybe not perfectly level, but it works um, pretty good. In contrast, when we moved to our place, we built a garage. And we, in that, for that, we dug down about four feet in the ground all the way around, uh, poured a bunch of concrete to make a footer in that trench. Um, I even went home from church camping and sucked all the water out one day. <laughs> it's quite a day anyway. And then we got a whole truckload of concrete blocks, and we built this foundation on that footer, then we covered it all back up again so you can't even see most of it. And there's a lot of work that went into something that is largely unseen now the project is completed. But the part that we can see, the garage that's above it, is square and level and hopefully should remain that way for many years because of the work that was done in establishing a strong foundation. Our lives are obviously the same way. I could have built the garage on a stone pad and down south where it doesn't freeze, that's often the way it's done. But here in New York, we have cold winters, we have freezing, and we have winds and rain. And after a couple years, a garage built on a pad would have shifted. The doors and windows might not open and close correctly, the floor might crack. And in fact, the floor actually did crack a little in the one corner because if I recall correctly, the homeowner cheaped out and uh, put some lesser fill in than was advised and uh, the corner of the floor did crack as he was advised it would. So there we have it. (laughs) So even if we don't have a strong foundation in our lives, we can get along for some time. As long as the weather is warm, as long as the sun shines, we'll be fine. When the storms of life come, the wind and the rain, the freezing temperatures, temptations, sicknesses, disappointments, financial hardships, you name it, it soon becomes obvious how strong our foundation is. Do we want a life that only lasts as long as my doghouse? Or do we want a life that leaves an example that will be remembered into 
the next generation. So when do we start building the foundation? Now obviously, um, any builder would say, first, the foundation is what everything else rests on, so obviously it must be built first. <clears throat> then everything else is built up from there. If we attempt to build our lives without first establishing a strong foundation, we are bound to fail. There are situations where an existing building requires a new foundation. This usually requires a lot of extra time and effort, if it's even possible. It's a question that's often asked when purchasing an older home. Is the foundation solid? Most people want to establish that fact before they buy something because the uh, cost and bother of redoing the foundation would add a lot of expense, if it's even possible, to an existing building. I have a story here I want to read. It's entitled Dig Deep. It became noticeable a few years into its construction, a tilt in the structure. A bell tower intended to reach eight stories was shifting while building only the second story. The year was 1173 and the Republic of Pisa was experiencing peace and prosperity. In a bid to complement the impressive Pisa Cathedral and to show their neighbors how strong and stable a nation state Pisa was, the decision was made to construct a bell tower that exceeded even the height of the cathedral. Five years into the construction of the Tower of Pisa, however, an architectural design flaw halted all progress. Below the surface, a mere three meter, which is about nine feet, foundation set in weak, unstable subsoil was inadequately supporting the weight of the unfinished tower. It was almost 100 years later, again, so this thing sat apparently for 100 years after getting only two of the eight stories built, again during a time of relative peace, that construction resumed. Instead of addressing the poor foundation, the succeeding architect decided to compensate by building the walls of the upper story taller on the low side so as to give the tower the appearance of being straight. This had the effect of disproportionately increasing weight on the already sinking side and permanently curving the entire structure. Does that kind of make sense? So he built walls a little taller hoping that he could make it stand straight again instead just simply made the whole issue worse. For more than 600 years the tower gradually increased its tilt until by 1990 it was leaning five and a half degrees and was dangerously close to collapsing. Engineers closed down the tower and started taking corrective action by securing the tower with cables and vacating all houses nearby. For decades various attempts to straighten the tower had failed. Some had even worsened the tilt but the solution the engineers used in 1990 went straight to the root of the problem. They began by removing 77 tons of the weak, unstable subsoil below the foundation. After a decade of effort, the tower was stabilized and the shifting ended for the first time in its history. As Christians, we can be confident that as Paul wrote to Timothy, the foundation of God standeth sure. The construction of this godly foundation is detailed in Ephesians 2 verses 19 through 22. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. If our lives are tilting and chaos is reigning, we need to dig deep and discover what beliefs or lies our life is built upon. If we have built upon a poor foundation for years and our life is tilting far, it is important to find a secure place away from those closest to us 
invite the help of godly builders. Attempting any other method of coping with the problems in life may seem may have the consequences of a permanent curve and increased tilting. Vows and decisions that were made years ago need to be revisited, examined, and replaced with truth if they are not founded on godly principles. If the engineers of 1990 would have shrugged their shoulders, blamed the early architects, and never taken the responsibility of addressing the root problem, a catastrophe would have resulted. Our lives are much more valuable than the Tower of Pisa. Let's dig deep and understand the foundations that we have built upon. So interesting story there. Um, I'm sure most of us have seen pictures or paintings of the famous Leaning Tower of Pisa and uh, how it came about and the process that went into trying to save it. Now I understand that in recent years it continues to shift. So I don't want to take that away from my message here, but unfortunately um, it's just very hard to fix a shifting foundation. You might have heard of the term deconstruction. It's when a person, for a variety of reasons, sometimes good, sometimes not so good, attempts to deconstruct the structure of their belief system. Maybe they no longer trust their previous beliefs. Maybe they've become disillusioned by bad experiences. As we see in the story I just read here, it is possible to establish a foundation later in our lives. It's not easy, but it's also not impossible. Some of you may have seen the pictures, heard the story of the previous owners of our property here who attempted to add a basement under the old house that was there at the time. Um, it ended in failure, to make a long story short. Not only was the basement never completed, but the house was damaged beyond repair and they ended up scrapping the whole project and starting over with the new house. In the same way, it becomes more difficult, but again, not impossible to rebuild a weak foundation, the older and more complicated, more set in their ways a person becomes. With all due respect to the previous owners, I think they attempted deconstruction on their old house. Uh, the project was very poorly planned and they removed too much at once, not allowing for sufficient stability to keep the house from collapsing. In contrast, the story we just read, the engineers at the Tower of Pisa used a method like to call reconstruction. They did not scatter the various parts of their project randomly about the property, as our previous owners did. We found parts of that house buried in the woods for years afterwards. They just, I don't know, anyway, very interesting. Um, they, they, the uh, engineers here consulted architects, people who understood and could give sound advice before proceeding. Then they gently and sufficiently supported the structure before carefully replacing the inadequate foundation a little at a time. Um, they did not attempt to just remove the whole thing at once and start over, but did a little at a time here. They recognized the true value of their project and took adequate measures to ensure that the process of restoration did not cause more damage than it solved. I think that's very important there. Um, we, in that story, it kind of gives the impression they took almost 10 years to do this whole project. It was not something that they decided overnight, called the neighbors together and dug a big hole and tried to make it work. Um, they took time, and it takes time as well. While reconstruction is not impossible, again, more difficult than it would have been to build a proper foundation before the walls went up. So parents, we know as, as parents, 
uh, this falls on us. The best, easiest time to teach and begin building is with a young child. And if you don't believe this, try teaching a teenager what you should have been taught at as a two-year-old. Um, for teenagers to learn to share, um, to be respectful, is much more difficult than if the child is taught that in a younger age. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. So this is hopefully an encouragement um, to you as parents. I mean, I'm still a parent, but um, the foundations are, have been set. <laughs> or I should say, the walls are growing. Let's put it that way. Hopefully the foundations have been set. The walls are growing. So especially as, as um, parents with young children, we think of the story of Moses. We know in Exodus 2, uh, Moses, Moses' mother hid him in the river, Pharaoh's daughter. Then finding him and asking the mother to then raise him until he was old enough to come to the palace as her daughter. And most people think it's Moses is only two or three or four years old when he left his real parents and went to live with Pharaoh's daughter. And we know he was taught, raised as an Egyptian, as an Egyptian prince. Um, all the comforts and uh, privileges that came with being in that position. Yet when he was grown, he still remembered who he was and at least some of his mother's teaching. And it took 40 years in the wilderness then of God to um, get him ready, but he still had that, that foundation that was put there as a very young child. Um, how many of us would be comfortable sending our three-year-old away, hoping we've taught him or her all they need to know for the rest of their life? Um, anyway, I thought with that, a foundation needs to go down before the building goes up. Uh, foundation is dirty work. A lot of mud, a lot of mess, and sometimes um, children feel that way as well. And, but that is part of building the foundation, raising it for the next generation. One that will continue long after we are no longer here. Not something to compromise on. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Third question, what is my foundation? And maybe we should have answered this question first. It's certainly uh, probably the most important question. What is my foundation? Is our foundation based on my family name, uh, my reputation? Maybe I think that as a Bontrager, I really am somebody. Maybe I can trace my family name back hundreds of years with kings and important people in the history. I've never checked. Uh, more likely it's probably filled with ditch diggers and the like. But uh, maybe we think we're a good person. We're kind, we're generous, and do lots of good things for other people. Maybe we follow a strict code of ethics that we refuse to compromise on. Maybe we're proud to be a Mennonite, even an Anabaptist. We've given a wonderful heritage with many things that we take for granted, having been raised with those too often, those of us who have grown up in this setting take what we have for granted, passed on, even sometimes feel stifled by it. But as good as those things are, by themselves, they are not sufficient for a foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So for our foundation, we need to acknowledge who God is, that he created all, that he knows all, and that he is all-powerful. 
that he deserves our worship and our praise, and that we serve only him. Without that proper view of God, um, nothing else will work. We need to recognize who Jesus is. This is where our Sunday school is going. First John is very interesting in attempting to give a, a first-person view of who Jesus is and attempting to convey that, um, not just to his contemporaries in that day, but also through the generations on down to us. Um, seeing Jesus for who he is, that he is Lord of all, that he is God's only begotten Son who came to this world in the form of a man. Matthew 23 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. Jesus literally was God here with us. That he died for our sins to pay the cost of our redemption. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Redemption means to buy back. It gives the idea of restoring something that once was and then was lost. Jesus came to redeem us. We were his we were lost to sin, and he then brought us back. That he rose again, and we will see this later in First John as well, um, that Jesus rose from the dead. First Corinthians 15, uh, a couple of verses here I'll read, 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins." Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, or who have died, have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and this become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This was a very central theme of the apostles um, in their preaching in the book of Acts and elsewhere, that Christ not only died, but then also rose and is alive again. And he's saying here, he says about three times um, in circular here, that if Christ did not rise, then your salvation really, it's not. It all hinges on that. Christianity is the only religion whose leader is not dead. Many other religions have come and gone. Um, They have had great leaders, and they have all died, and they stayed dead. Without the power of the resurrection, we could not be given new life, which is what Christianity is different than other religions. Through Christ's resurrection, he broke the power of death and has enabled us to do that as well. He sent the Holy Spirit to guide us. John 14, 16, 17, Jesus speaking to disciples says, I will pray the Father, he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knows him, but ye know him because he dwells with you and shall be in you. God has given the Holy Spirit to guide and to prompt us as we make decisions through life. He's also given us his word to guide us. Proverbs 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
We just talked about that in Sunday school as well. The idea of light. Um, the idea of light equaling life. Um, the idea of light uh, casting out the darkness or dispelling the darkness. And light and life are used almost interchangeably. In Jesus' prayer to his disciples in John 17, 17, he asked God to sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word is an absolute that never changes, never needs updates, and can always be relied on. So we have the life of Christ, the teachings of his word, to build our lives on. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says to be followers of him, Paul, even as he is of Christ. Paul recognized that Christ and his word are a reliable foundation to build on. Therefore, he was confident in saying to follow him as he follows Christ. He knew that if those that followed him build on the same foundation that Paul did, that their lives would be successful. That Isaiah 28, verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay up in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not be shaken. Like the wording he used here, a tried stone. Other translations say a firm and tested stone, one that's been proven. Uh, some of us like new ideas, new technologies, uh, the latest and greatest. That's certainly fine for some things. When it comes time to build our houses, most of us rely on methods that have been proven for possibly even hundreds of years. Maybe tweak some. Um, but we rely on a tried and true method, um, a stone, if you please, that has been firm, has been tested. He uses the term cornerstone. I don't know if we have any masons here, uh, but generally, if you watch a mason uh, do a, a block wall or something, um, they will start at the corners. They'll get the corners square and true, and they'll run lines between that and build the rest in between. They don't start in the middle and try and figure out the corners at the end. And in the old days, the stonemasons were very picky when which stones they used for the corners. These corners need to be true, need to be square, or the rest of the foundation would not hold out. And that's what he's saying. Um, Jesus is the cornerstone. He's what everything else depends on. We read earlier, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.11, about Jesus being the foundation and... The verses then after it speak about building on that foundation. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11 through 15. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We said that already. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each man's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. So this speaks then of how we build our lives on that foundation. It also says that our lives, what we have done, what we have lived, will be tried, will be tested on Judgment Day to see if what we have built has any value. We may start with a good foundation, but then choose different materials to build from. He gives examples here of gold, silver, precious stones, but also of wood, of hay, and of stubble. And we know the children's story of the three little pigs. Um, 
while the house of bricks kept all three of them safe, the houses made of sticks and straw did not. And we don't know if they had a good foundation or not, but they made poor choices from there. And even if the foundation was good, what they then chose to build with after that was not good. Sticks and straw do not work, even though it was much quicker to do it that way. It is not possible without a strong foundation to build a strong life that will weather the storms, but it is possible to have started with a strong foundation, but then to carelessly build our lives from there. So if you kind of get that picture, you can't have a good house without a good foundation, but a good foundation does not guarantee a good house from there. That continues to take work as well. Verses 12 through 15 talk about building our lives with inferior materials. Are we building our lives with things that will last for eternity? Are we using our time and our effort in worthwhile ways? Will our accomplishments stand the test of God's fire some days? Or will we be left empty-handed with only our own salvation and nothing else to bring to the judgment day? Verse 15 here gives the image of a man that has lost all he's ever worked for and escapes with only his life. So as we go from here, let's make sure that we build our lives, first of all, on the solid rock of God, and then build with things that will last for eternity, for our own sakes, for those that will come after us, and also because, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15, that we can be ready to give an answer to every man who asks. If you really want to test your spiritual foundation, your spiritual knowledge, reach out to the unsaved. Um, let them ask you the hard questions. Let them test your foundation, test your building materials. Uh, let them show you what it really is. A shallow foundation may get, get us by if we stay completely within the protection, the safety of our own circles here, but it will not last long out there. And we know that God calls us not only to minister here, um, as Jaden said, among the brotherhood, but also to reach out for those around us and for both of those reasons, we need both a strong foundation and a strong house on top of that. Let's stand for prayer and remain standing then for the final song. Father in heaven, we thank you for being the foundation for us to build our lives on, a foundation that we can rely on through the tests, the trials of life. Thank you for providing your word as instructions for us as we build. Thank you for allowing us to be part of a group of fellow believers where we can learn and build together in safety. We pray that you would use, that we would use what you have given us to reach out and share with others as well. We ask your blessing in our lives as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Ken?